0: Hear the word of God from Acts 1, 1 to 8. I will read the passage in Portuguese and in English will be on the screen. Teofilo, no meu primeiro livro escrevi acerca de tudo o que Jesus começou a fazer e ensinar. Até o dia que foi levado para o céu depois de ter dado instruções pelo poder do Espírito Santo aos homens que tinham escolhido para o céu apóstolos. Depois da de sua morte, Jesus apresentou-se a estes homens e mostrou-lhes com muitas provas irrefutáveis que estava vivo. Apareceu-lhes muitas vezes pelo espaço de 40 dias e falou-lhes a respeito do reino de Deus. Numa dessas vezes, enquanto comia com eles, deu-lhes esta ordem. Não se afastem de Jerusalém. Espera que... Se cumpra a promessa que meu Pai fez e que eu já vos falei. De facto, João batizou com água, mas dentro de alguns dias serão batizados com o Espírito Santo. Uma vez, quando os apóstolos estavam reunidos com Jesus, perguntaram-lhes, Senhor, será agora que vais restaurar o reino para o povo de Israel? Jesus respondeu, Não vos é dado conhecer o tempo ou o dia que o Pai fechou com a sua própria autoridade, mas receberá o poder ao descer sobre vós o Espírito Santo, e serão minhas testemunhas, tanto em Jerusalém, como a a Judeia e Samaria, e até aos lugares mais distantes do mundo. Here's a word of God.
1: So some of you guys might be confused. You're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've been in John for this whole time. Why are we all of a sudden in Acts? Which actually could make sense because Acts is right after John. So you might not be confused at all. But did we finish John? I don't know. We didn't finish John, we're going to actually go back to John, but this weekend was the REACH conference, which was our missions conference at Waypoint Church. A time where we gather together and celebrate what God is doing in our midst, amongst the nations, and here in our area. We celebrate, but not only celebrate, we train. This past weekend, we answered the question of the, what we're doing in missions, and then the question of how we're doing it. And it's been an incredible weekend, this weekend was just so awesome, full of celebration and full of prayer, uh, a weekend full of training, and a weekend really just opening our eyes to the global vision that God has for us. Here's something I just want you to hear very clearly from me up here. This is the expectation. I just want you to get this. If you're here and you're a member at Waypoint Church, hear this over and over again. We believe there is no bench here. Let me say that again. We believe there is no bench. Back in the day, I loved the the Bulls. They had Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, all those guys. Those were my team. I loved it. When they first signed Dennis Rodman to the team, he was a crazy guy. They don't know, is he going to be weird? Is he going to bite people? They don't know anything. He was just a weird guy, but he was such a good basketball player. So what happened was, every single time, every team Dennis Rodman would sign with, his best friend would get signed by that team. Which was the coolest gig. His best friend would get signed to play. He was the guy kind of like, keep Dennis Rodman in check. You just sit on the bench. You'll never do anything. You get to wear the jersey, but you're never going to play. And if you win a championship, you get a ring. And you know what I thought when I was a kid? I was like, that's the best job ever. <laughs> I get to watch Michael Jordan play basketball. I get to stay on part of the team. But all I have to do is be like, hey Dennis, don't go too crazy, man. You're good. You're good. Awesome. Guys, can I tell you, that's not an option for you here. That job doesn't exist here. We're all crazy like Dennis Rodman, so this is good. See, here's what I'm saying, guys. I want you to know this, but we believe here at Waypoint Church that if you come and you're part of this family, you need to be on the team. You're playing in the game. You're not sitting on the bench. There's no bench for you here. Do you hear me? Do you get what that means? It means that every member is a missionary. It means every member is a sent one. It means every member has a purpose. Every member is sent to the places and to the people God has called them to go. You're part of the mission of God. To hear that? That's what this weekend was about. What are we supposed to do with that? Well, okay, we're set, okay, where do we go? How do we do this? What are we accomplishing? And it's incredible to hear. Guys, I wish you guys could have been there, those of you who missed it. I wish you could have heard the stories of what God's doing in Gambia and the stories of God's doing through our international students or through our cross-cultural intentional living or through Spring 4th and through all the ministries that God's called and brought together, birthed out of here. But here's what we're going to do. For those of you who missed it, for the month of May, we're going to call it Mission May. I love alliteration. So Mission May works out. And during our prayer time, we're going to highlight one of those areas that we talked about during the missions conference. So like today we had foster care. So thank you, Megan, again for sharing about philosophy. Every month you get to hear about ways to get involved, ways to say, okay, Lawrence, you say no bench. I don't know what that means. I'm gonna tell you, you get to get plugged in. Every Sunday we'll come up tell you another way to get plugged in, another way to get involved in the service and the ministry of the church here. So you can't say, all right, Lawrence, no bench, but I don't know what to do. We're telling you what to do. We're gonna try to make it as easy as possible, no excuses, right? You guys hear me on this one? Because guys, here's the deal. The reason we're so passionate about this is that we don't believe God just loved us enough to just save us and rescue us. We believe that God loved us so much that he not only saves us, rescues us, he gives us purpose. He calls us to something greater than we can just, than just living on this earth, eat, drinking, and being merry. Do you get that? So here's what we're gonna do. Every time we hear about one of these opportunities, every time we hear on Sunday morning or every time in the church, I want us to do three things. One, I want us to celebrate so be the fact that God is doing something and we praise him for it two i want you to pray for these ministries and then three i want to see if you're called to serve and support in that ministry area so if you hear about gambia if you hear about international students if you hear about refugee ministry you're like okay yes we submit woo that's awesome god is moving and then two okay god will you continue to move pray we move those lives and then three god what am i supposed to do In light of this information, what am I supposed to do? So if you hear about caring for single mothers in crisis, if you hear about um, whatever it may be, you now need to celebrate, yes, there's a ministry for that. Incredible. God, you're moving. Here's what you're doing. Yes, let's celebrate. But then you think, okay, well, let me pray for the workers. Let me pray for the, 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 the women who are there. And then you think, God, what am I supposed to do now? Lauren says there's no bench. Okay, so what am I supposed to do? There is no bench, we all need to do our part, and we all need to be in the game. Can I get amen to that? So our text today is out of Acts. Acts chapter one, verses one through eight. And we'll dive right into this. And before we do, I wanna give you a little bit of background on this text. We know that Luke wrote the two books, the first one we know as the Gospel of Luke, and the second one we know as the Book of Acts. This title though came as a later edition, uh, in its original rendering, it was not given a title. When Luke first came out with these two manuscripts, it was not given a title. Some have said, though, that a more fitting title might be the Acts of the Holy Spirit. I believe, however, that the even more fitting title will be the Further Acts of Jesus Christ. I come to this based on the first, book, first verse in the book of Acts. We'll put it up on the screen really quickly, if you can. Um, Nathan, can you put on the uh, first verse one of the book of, of Acts one? It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. So then in the second book, namely Acts, is what Jesus continued to do and to teach. Does that make sense? But wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus is gone after the first chapter in the book of Acts. So how in the world is the book of Acts about what Jesus continued to do and to teach? It doesn't really make sense, right? Like He's like, this is a continuation of what Jesus continued to do, but he's gone in the first chapter, so it's not really about Jesus, is it? It is what Jesus did and taught through his disciples. It is a continued work of Jesus that didn't stop with his ascension, and that didn't end with the apostles either. It is our continued work. It is our common mission. It's the legacy set before us. See, what happened in the book of Acts, uh, Luke called the first book, he said this is the start of the work of Jesus, and this book of Acts is a continuation, even though Jesus is gone in the first chapter. Guys, I don't want you to miss that. I think there's something so powerful about that. There is a work of Jesus that is being continued, that is being fulfilled, that is being accomplished by people that is not Jesus. People named Peter and Paul But now people named Joy and James and Bree and Megan. I don't want want you to miss out that when we say there is a purpose for you, that when we say there is no bench, what we're saying is you're actually doing the work of Jesus. The work that he started and he began, you're continuing that work. So I'm going to kind of let you into a little bit of the weird mind of Lawrence for here for a second. It's an odd place. I'm sorry about this for you. But I'm a, I'm a huge fan of reading about epic adventure quests and stories. I'm a fan of like puzzles and tre- treasure hunts. I love those movies where it's like, like national treasure, stuff like that. Like I love this idea of like fulfilling a purpose, overcoming, going on an epic quest. That's who I am. I often wish I was a kid, I've, I've often wished like my grandfather had like this epic quest. Like he'd come to me one day when I was a kid. I'd often wish he'd be like, son, I've been searching for this my whole life. I could never find it. Now I give it to you. Never did that. (laughs) Always wanted it, but he never did it. So I made a decision one day, and this is what I'm gonna do. My wife doesn't know this yet, so I'm admitting it now. She's not gonna be happy about it. But I said, I'm gonna tell all my children and grandchildren from here on out that there's this great hidden treasure that I've been searching for. I'm gonna give them hints at the finding it through all my stories I tell them about it. And I'm gonna let them know one day that as I search my whole life, I've never found it. So one day when I get older, I'm actually gonna buy a treasure from somewhere I'm gonna go hide it somewhere, leave like an epic quest to find it, right? So when I'm older, I'm gonna be like, these kids are like, the story's true, Grandpa? I'm like, yes it is. Yeah. And they're gonna go on this epic adventure all around the world looking for this treasure, right? How cool of an idea is that? Don't tell them, don't ruin the surprise, but it's gonna happen. There's something about finishing the work of a beloved one, something about like saying, this is my dad's work that he started, I'm gonna finish it. My dad started this craft, and he built this boat, but he didn't finish it. Let me finish it for him. Something that speaks to me. I don't know what about that. Just This kind of continued legacy, being a part of something bigger, being a part of something that's just not mine, but a part of a project that spans time, generations. Something about that appeals to me. I remember one of my best friends left for the mission field a while back, and he went to a very dangerous place, and him and his wife were called to this place, and I remember... um, As we were praying together, I remember just looking at him and telling him that, man, if if you go there and if you die for the sake of the gospel, I'm there, man. If you die for the sake of the gospel, I'll go and I'll finish the work you do there. And this is what the book of Acts is telling us here is we already have this amazing legacy. This thing that I've been yearning for that I wish my grandfather gave me, we have it. We have this amazing legacy, this amazing mission, this project before us with the greatest of rewards, the unfinished task given to us by our Lord Jesus. It's an epic adventure. It's incredible pur- purpose. Jesus himself, our Lord and Savior, is saying to you, calling you to finish the work that he started. He's leaving it in your hands. What are you doing with it? Colossians 1 24 says this now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church in other words what Paul is saying is I rejoice in my sufferings I rejoice when I suffer doing what I'm called to do because what when I'm when I, when I do that when I suffer when I do what God called me to do I fulfill what was lacking what was missing what was not completed in what Christ did Guys, you hear this epic adventure purpose that's set before you. That the calling before you is to do this mission, and this mission is something that Jesus Himself has started. He says, advancing the kingdom. He started the kingdom. He was the guy that announced. He was the conquering soldier that came in and says, "Here's the kingdom of God. I've established it. It is started. It is here. But my, I'm not done yet. That kingdom needs to advance. It needs to go forth. Will you be the knights that take it forward?" I mean, think about that mission. Think about the privilege. Think about the honor that's placed upon you. That's the quest that my grandfather should have given me. That's the quest we need to be giving our children. Can I tell you something? The quest that we give our children, I'm just going to be honest and real with you. This is so in, in my heart too, is that our quest that we give our children is be really successful and make a lot of money. Am I right? That's the quest we put our children on. What about the quest of advancing his kingdom? What about we tell our children? What we fill their eyes, what we fill their hearts, what we fill their minds with that mission instead? Oftentimes, the quest that we give our children is behave and be good and be polite and don't cause a scene. What if the quest we give our children is, hey, advance the kingdom, share the gospel? Do you hear that? That's the purpose of the king. That's what he's called us to do. And that's worth following. And that gives us dignity and importance and worth. In the first part of this, uh, of this book of Acts, verses one through three, in the first verses we see that Jesus taught the people the truth about who he is. He showed himself to be alive and shared about the kingdom. In other words, guys, I want you to hear this. Jesus shared the gospel. It says in the first book, Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands to the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. We see that, in other words, Jesus is here sharing the truth about the good news of the gospel, that he is risen, that the kingdom is here, that he, through his suffering, accomplished so everything that we need. We must see that in fulfilling the work of Christ, it's the gospel first that needs to be shared. There's only one true, pure gospel of Jesus Christ. We must keep it that way. So what is the gospel? What is the good news that we're called to share? Tim Keller says it like this, Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with him and then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. I'll say that again. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God fully accomplishes salvation for us, rescuing us from the judgment for sin into fellowship with him, and then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. A little confusing, so I'm going to break it down a little simpler for you. The good news of Jesus Christ is that one, the one and only God who is holy made us in His image to know Him. We were made divinely in the image of God and there's a God-shaped hole in each and every one of us that we try to fill with everything else. So we are made in the image of God to know God. But two, but we've sinned and we've cut ourselves off from God and the question of whether we've sinned or not is so evident, every one of us, every culture, every experience can testify that we are all sinful people. We don't have to teach our kids to be greedy or selfish, do we? They know that all on their own. But then three, in his great love, God sent his son Jesus to come as king and as lamb, rescue his people from their enemies, most significantly their own sin. Four, Jesus established his kingdom by acting as both mediating priest and priestly sacrifice. He lived a perfect life and died on the cross, fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself the punishment but that he rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted his sacrifice and that God's wrath against us has been completed. Number five, he now calls us to repent of our sins and trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness and to believe in him for salvation. That is the gospel. That's the good news. Here's, the, here's, here's how I like to say it. The good news is this, guys, is that every single one of us in the human condition, I truly believe is this, is that we all want to be known, we all want to be loved, and we all crave purpose. I believe that's true for us. If we look at ourselves, and we look at our lives, if we see most of the depression and most of the issues in our life is that we struggle with this idea of being known, being loved, and having purpose. We want to be known, but the reality is, if you know me, um, I'm afraid that you're not going to like me. As a matter of fact, as I know myself, I don't know if I can even like myself. So what we do is we put on masks, put on all these like false faces, put on all these different personas that they think, okay, well maybe if you like the nice Lawrence or the kind Lawrence or the funny Lawrence or whatever, maybe then you'll like, you'll love me. But then we, still, we just constantly put on masks after mask after mask. And as we do so, we realize it is so tiring holding up all these masks and trying to figure out who I am in this. And so then you're like, okay, I, I just, I'm so tired of wearing masks, not really truly being known, but if I can be truly be known, I don't know if I can be loved. What do I do? I'm stuck. And the good news of the gospel is this, that the one who made you, the one who knows you, in all your sin and all your issues says, you don't have to change yourself to be, receive my love. You just receive my love. It's freely given to you in the midst of all your mess. Love you. And nothing you did to earn it he chose to love you and in the midst of that then out of his great love for you he calls you to a mission he calls you to he calls you to a purpose that's beyond this life that's the good news of the gospel and that's what This calling for us, as we say, what is the why of missions? Is the calling for us, those of us who know the good news, that we're supposed to complete the work that Jesus has started, is taking that good news, advancing it, sharing with as many people as possible so that they know and believe, so that his kingdom will advance. But I love the fact that he gives us the clear good news of the gospel, but that he doesn't leave us on our own. He gives us power. Verse 4, it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The power needed to be bold, the power to share this gospel, the good news, the power to live in this life is the power of the Holy Spirit. Disciples were called to wait in Jerusalem until this Holy Spirit came upon them. This happened about 10 days after the ascension. Remember Remember in John, guys, as we were studying the book of John, it said, Jesus said that it was better for him to be gone. It was better for us that he was gone because they were getting the paraclete. They were getting the counselor, the advocate, the one who will speak the truth of the gospel into their heart. Guys, my people, I understand when I share with you guys the task of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, when we share with you the task of living for Jesus, when we share with you the mission of sharing the gospel, the task seems huge. I understand your lives feel so stinking busy right now. You're like, listen, Lawrence, I can barely survive work in my family. Why are you adding this to me? And I get it that you often don't even think about how to start this epic quest. As a matter of fact, you're the opposite of me. Your personality is so different from me. You're like, epic quest, you're like, ugh. I don't want an epic quest. I want to take a nap. Right? I get it. I understand that. Right? How in the world are you thinking an epic quest? My stomach, your stomach starts turning. You're like, I don't want a journey. I don't want a puzzle. I don't want this epic. Uh, I don't want to fight with swords. Lawrence, you, you completely missed me. Can I tell you this? The only way we can even approach the idea of this journey, this calling, this mission that God's placed upon us, the only way we can even approach the idea of accomplishing it's because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit you're not doing it on your own strength do you hear me? yes, most of you, your life is so busy that if we thought about adding anything else to it yes, it's too much for you but can I tell you, it is everything your life should be too much for you because when it's enough for you that means you're operating on your own strength when you can control it that means you're God but when it's too much for you, and you say, God, I can't handle this life, I don't know how to do this mission, Holy Spirit, will you empower me? Will you give me strength? Then you realize that it's not your strength you operated in, you operated the strength of God. Do you hear that, people? Jesus knew the task was too big for his disciples, that's why he tells them to wait. But do you know that the same power that gave Samson his strength The same power that turns hearts to know Jesus, the same power that raises his dead, is the power that is within you with the Holy Spirit. Do you get that? So go and be witnesses. Can I tell you something? Your life is busy and I get that. Oh, believe me, I get that. My wife gets that. She looks at me and she's like, like, oh yeah, we get that. Can I tell you something though? More important than the busyness of our life is the fact that we're living a life on mission. Empowered by the Spirit of God to live it, not by our own ability to handle and manage. You're not God. Some of you guys like, I don't wanna hear that. We try to control everything and make our world safe and small. Anxiety creeps in. Guys, do you guys know why anxiety overwhelms us all the time? And believe me, I'm the first one. Can I just be honest with you guys? Earlier today in my office, me, uh, Pastor uh, Josh, and Pastor Danny and I, we're three of us, the pastors, we're sitting here talking about how anxiety is so strong in our lives. So please hear me when I say this. This is not me saying, hey, I got anxiety covered. I'm good. I don't ever feel anxiety. No, no, no. We were just talking about it. We're like, okay, how do we handle this? But can I tell you something, anxiety exists because we think we're God. And anxiety exists because when we think we're God, we think we're in control, and when we're in control, the things that we can't control creeps up. We think we're God, we control everything, and the things that we can't control happens. And then we're like, no, 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 that shouldn't happen. Then we're like, oh, I can't control that, what do I do? Then we're like, oh, I'm full of anxiety. You can't control what happens in sickness and health all the time, can you? You think you can, but oh, but I exercise all the time and I, you know, I got all the vitamins and all this stuff so I can control my health. But then all of a sudden, boom, something happened. I thought I had that under control, right? You control your finances, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm saving away, I'm doing really good money and all of a sudden something else happens that you can't control, it's out of your control and you're like, oh, well, what just happened? And the anxiety gets worse and worse the more you think you're God, right? This is not a critique upon you. This is a turn to Jesus. Know that you're not. And the things that you can't control, he controls. And that's why I always say I love being a Christian. Can I just be honest with you? I love being a Christian because we get to live the reality of a win-win. Because the worst things that can happen in this life, and there are terrible, terrible things that happen in this life. We know this. But the worst things that we have in life, as a Christian, we believe that it's for eternal purpose. And God's using those things to shape and mold us into Christ-likeness. And there's a significance in it. And the very worst thing that when we die, at the very end, that it's not the end, that we have everlasting union with Christ forever. So it's a win-win for us as Christians. Do you hear that? The power of the Spirit to speak that truth into us is how we can face the difficulties of our day and move forward on the mission. Amen? Now, in verse 6 and 7 leading up to 8, it says, So when they had come together, they asked, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed for his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Now, I love it. If one thing the disciples could not get straight was what Jesus meant by when he talked about the kingdom of God. Right, they just could not get it. They were so helplessly confused all the time. Lord, they said, will you restore the kingdom of Israel? That's what they asked. Peace just got stuck They had such a misunderstanding what the type of kingdom of God was talking about. One, they were looking for a political kingdom. Notice the word "restore." The real issue here is that the disciples were still thinking that God was going to restore Israel back to a global superpower. They thought God's plan was to have Jesus come in and be like like David was uh, conquering the Philistine army and say, Look how powerful of a kingdom we have again. That's what they were waiting for. They were waiting for Israel to become the new Rome. That's what they were looking for. Or two, they were looking for an ethnically restricted kingdom. Notice they did not ask, Are you going to restore the kingdom? But are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Literally, restore the kingdoms to the Jews. They're not forbidding Gentiles to come, but they would have to come through their kingdom but they misunderstood God's kingdom is not a kingdom of Israel, but a kingdom of God, one in which all people come and are accepted through the blood of Jesus. Three, they were looking for a geographically restricted kingdom. Here again, Gentiles are welcome to come to Jerusalem anytime they want to. Notice Jesus doesn't answer their question the way we might expect. He says, he did say, really, have we come to this point? Are you still not understand the nature of the kingdom? Jesus did not deny the existence of earthly kingdom. There will be one day an earthly kingdom. But for now, what Jesus was advancing is a spiritual kingdom. There's a word here, this idea for restore. It's the word, uh, it's been so long since I've done Greek, so please excuse me for those of you who are Greek scholars. I don't know how many of you guys there are, but I'm just saying, just in case. It's the Greek word uh, apokathistemi. And it means to restore to its original position or condition, to give back. It means to properly restore back to original standing that existed before fall, kind of to reestablish. And so when the Israelite people, when his disciples were asking Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom? In their picture, there was the kingdom of David, the kingdom of Solomon, where people would come to see the glorious riches. The armies were powerful. The city was powerful. People thought how beautiful the kingdom was. And that's what they were hoping Jesus was here to restore. They thought Jesus was the miraculous Messiah, the miracle worker that could conquer and make this happen again to restore this kingdom back to the way it was. But that's not what God intended. His restoration, this word, was even further back than that. What he was restoring was not to the kingdom of David and Solomon, but what he was restoring was to the way the world was supposed to be prior to the fall. What what Jesus is doing with his kingdom is restoring the world back to pre-fall creation. In other words, Jesus is recreating. Disciples didn't get it. Uh, I don't know how many of you guys still get it. See, here's the mission that we're a part of. We're not just a part of, of restoring a political kingdom. We're not just a part of, when we say the kingdom of God, we're not just a part of just saying, hey, people, here's Jesus, yay. What we're part of doing is we're helping Jesus reweave creation. Do you get that? We're helping Jesus. We're a part of the work of Jesus' mission to us that says, guys, what, what wrong in the fall Let's recreate to make beautiful again. I think that's so incredible to me. He, we're helping Jesus make all things new as we advance his kingdom, as we work in that. You guys, I've heard, you've heard me say this before, but if you look at the, the nature of Jesus' miracles, I'm going to ask a question. Why do you think Jesus performed the miracles he performed? Anybody? I can't hear a word you're saying, but... I'm just going to nod my head. The things before, that's, and what things that's exactly the right answer, but I'm going to go with somebody with the wrong answer first. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you see, a lot of people's typical first answer is mean, why did Jesus perform miracles? To show that Jesus is powerful, right? Well, can I be honest with you guys? If I was going to show like I have the ability to perform miracles and I'm going to show you how powerful I am, more than likely it's not going to be turning water into wine. It's not going to be healing some blind person or healing some lame people or whatever. More than likely to show you how powerful I am, I might lift up a mountain, you know? I might like fly through the air and like cause fireworks to come flying everywhere and just like juggling buildings in my hands. That's kind of what what I would do. That's just me. I would be a terrible superhero. If I was a superhero, I'd I'd use my power for way too much fun and it'd be bad. But that's what I would do. But that's not what Jesus did. What Jesus did is, yes, he wanted to show his power and his authority, but he also wanted to show that his miracles was all about reweaving creation. To what was wrong, the the lame that was born lame, he brought his life back to his legs. The blind that couldn't see, he brought sight back. What was wrong in the fall, he's reweaving to make right. And what he's saying to us, that's his mission. That's what Jesus is doing. He's making right what is wrong. Guys, what we do on mission of Jesus as we share the gospel, as we proclaim the gospel, as we're his witnesses, what we're doing is helping him remake what is wrong. How beautiful is that? It says, be my witnesses. What does that mean? It means that in the resurrection, Jesus is indeed enthroned as Israel's Messiah and therefore king of the whole world. He is the one at whose, every, at, at, at whose name every knee will bow, as Paul puts it in the Philippians 2. Because in the world of the first century, when someone was enthroned as king... That new authority would take effect through heralds and uh, people going off throughout the land with the news. They would say, oh, okay, all of a sudden, James Shafto became king of the land. So then what happened was all the heralds, all the messengers would go to the ends of the earth, riding out and saying, hey, hey, guys, 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 good news, good news, we have a new king. And that was proclaimed as good news because in the ancient world, anarchy was seen as worse than authoritative government. So the heralds or messengers would go to the furthest reaches of the land to announce the new king and demand allegiance from the grateful subjects. Now, I love this. The Greek word that they've been shouting out as heralds is the word evangelion. He's, I bring the evangelion, I bring the evangelion, which literally translates good news, which is literally the word we use for the gospel. So what would happen as heralds and they were sent forth to say, guys, tell the ends of the earth that you have the good news that the king is on his throne and the king brings justice. The king is making all that was wrong, he's making it right. All you guys who've been stolen from and robbed from, all that you've been hurt, all the tears that you shed, he's going to make right. That's what we're called to do. That's the message here when this word says be witnesses. We're to be heralds. Our purpose, can I tell you this? Hear me very clearly on this, okay? Your purpose in this life, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you know who Jesus is, you believe in the gospel, you've accepted that you're a follower of Jesus, your purpose in this life is to be a herald. That's your purpose. Is to glorify him in the way he's called you to glorify him and to be a herald. That's your first job, your first identity. Do you hear that? Not a father not a husband, not a wife, not a doctor, not a lawyer, not a teacher, not a social worker. All that stuff comes underneath it, but the first job that you have is you're to be a herald. You're to tell the world that Jesus is enthroned. He is king. He is king, it is good news. It is good news because what is wrong, he's making right. It is good news because no longer do you have to earn salvation. No longer do you have to wear masks. No longer do you have to wear masks to be loved. No longer do you have to try to hide who you are or to not realize that you can be loved. No longer are you purposeless, aimless, walking around this world. But you're known, you are loved, you have purpose. And he's making all things new. This is why we do missions because that's who we call called to be, heralds, fulfilling the legacy of Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the calling upon us, your passionate love for us, the work of Jesus. Thank you that he is enthroned as king and you called us to be heralds. May we be heralds for him, in Jesus' name. Amen.